Aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and it's a pleasure to be with you again this Sunday. We're coming up on the two-year mark for this webinar. I was thinking about that the other day, just how unbelievable that is, that we have um, about 90 of these programs available for you in replay or by podcast, and uh, those will be posted forevermore, and every week we'll add a new one, a live one, that you can listen to as you're doing now, live, uh, either on the web or by telephone. You can participate either on the web or by telephone. And then, of course, uh, because we record all of these, you'll have streaming replay from theagelesswisdom.com, it's under the tab Web Teleconferences, and also Podcast, which is easy to subscribe to. You can uh, just go to the iTunes store. Uh, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it, but there's also Podcast Alley, uh, Podfeed.net, uh, Podcast Pickle. Most of the major podcast directories online will allow you to subscribe to this feed with a single click. No problem, no sweat, it's easy to do. So, Whether you're listening live today or listening to the replay, we're broadcasting live, we're podcasting live, we're, what do you call this, webinaring live um, on this third day of a new year, of a new decade. It's January 3rd, 2010, January 3rd, 2010. And today, in keeping with the tendency of people to make New Year's resolutions, I thought I would outline for you very simply the only three things that you need to do to be successful in your life. The three secrets to success. Now, I did not bring this down carved into granite tablets off Mount Sinai. And if you are an old hand at personal growth and self-help, self-improvement, personal empowerment, whatever you want to call this field, uh, personal and spiritual development, I call it mostly, if you've been around for a while, this will not be all that new or unfamiliar to you, except it will be in my words and in my way of saying things. But uh, the, these are, you know, these principles, these three secrets for success that I'm going to share with you today are indeed part of the ageless wisdom part of the ancient philosophies and teachings of all cultures and all societies in the world, though they are arcane, they are esoteric, uh, they are, um, how shall we say, hidden or occulted uh, because of the, number one, the persecution of the church and the state for tens of decades you know, that 1,000-year period called the Dark Ages was a time when the church was the state. And the king and the pope uh, would conspire together uh, to basically
exactly control culture and and to prevent people from learning to read. There were no printing presses. There was not much to read anyway. When Gutenberg invented the printing press and movable type, even then, about the only book that was printed for for years was the Bible. And uh, for those in England, they had to wait for the King James Version of the Bible in 1611. But keep in mind, at this time, major universities in Europe would have maybe a few hundred books total in their libraries. And many of those books were chained, literally chained to desks. And a book was a rare thing, usually hand-copied. So there was a kind of a catch-22 going on where nobody read, so few books were printed even after Gutenberg invented the printing press. And because so few books were printed, there was little to read. And it was a kind of a catch-22 that obviously we we soon broke out of in time. But the primary fear has always been, that, and this is why secret traditions are kept secret, that we'd be persecuted for studying science. You know, what happened to the guys that invented the telescope and said, wait a minute, look through my telescope. The sun is the center of the solar system. Well, you know, the church said the earth was the center, so you, Mr. Scientist, are going to go to prison and probably spend the rest of your life there if we don't just uh, decide to kill you outright for your heresy. My goodness, saying the sun is the center of the uh, solar system. And you'll notice even today, in 2010, there is a positive correlation between a religious fundamentalist and their rejection of science. Confusion about when life begins, uh, confusion about stem cell research, um, and, and so many uh, different topics where superstition and science run into each other. Uh, just because there is this tendency of of religious people to oppose uh, science. Or I'll put it this way, if science comes up against science and philosophy is the pursuit of truth, comes up against religious dogma, there are many, many millions and billions of people, even today, even in the United States, a supposedly enlightened country, who will choose the, the the superstitious dogma over the science. And it's tragic because to turn away from knowledge, to turn away from truth, is not in anybody's interest, whether you're spiritual or agnostic or, or an atheist. We should be all pursuing the truth and, and asking difficult questions. Beware of people that don't ask questions. All right. Whether they know they're right or whether they know you're wrong, if they're not asking questions, they may not know very much of anything. And isn't it, isn't it interesting how self-assured a person can be in spite of the fact that they may never ask you a question. They may have no curiosity at all. You know, 
there's a great line in the new movie Avatar. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, the the English-speaking Earthling is on this remote planet meeting this new species, and uh, he is introduced to the shaman, to the to the medicine woman of the tribe, and he says, "I want to learn from you," and she paraphrases uh, <laughs> this this old Zen saying about, you know, there's no room for learning if the cup is already full. <clears throat> there's a great story about that in uh, in Zen. And so that's the problem with knowing the answers. You stop asking questions. You think you understand. Uh, so, you know, whether you're uh, uh, of a religious orientation and you think you understand religion and you know it all, or you're a scientist and you think you know it all, uh, be careful. Uh, it's it's always in our interest to ask questions, to ask difficult questions, to challenge our own beliefs, especially the ones we hold dear and and precious. It's much more important to seek understanding than to believe that you already have the answer. Uh, to know that you're right is a shutdown on learning, and we don't want to do that. So, uh, having said that, let's uh, let's talk about our three secrets to success with a little discussion here that um, what's different about the three secrets to success and New Year's resolutions or New Decade resolutions. I thought this would be a good time of year to to talk about setting goals and committing yourself to those goals, affirming goals. Uh, that's really the very first secret to success. But before we wade into 1, 2, and 3, this very simple process of creating what it is that you want in your life, I, I want to emphasize that my approach is different from that of many people in that I don't think one size fits all. I do not have for you today a set of steps uh, that will take you to success in a uh, universal sense, but rather in a personal Sense Everything I'm going to tell you today has to be customized and tailored to fit your particular interests and your particular passions. And I could make this one of the three steps, but instead, then I'd have four steps, wouldn't I? It, 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 <laughs> instead, I'm presenting it to you as a context for the three steps that follow. This is not a one-size-fits-all approach. This is not a formula that anybody and everybody can do to create success in their lives. Indeed, I think that's what's wrong with a lot of the formulas for success and why it may not be working so well for you. You may be spending money on books and CDs and DVDs and going to success seminars and sitting in a room with 
scores, maybe hundreds or hundreds of people, and being told you should all do the same thing in the same way in order to be successful. Well, I think if you just reflect upon that for a moment, you can see the fallacy right off the top. I am not you. And whatever has made you successful, even if it did work for me, would it make me happy and fulfilled? And would I therefore be successful? If success is only making a lot of money, or getting yourself into a position of power over other people, I suppose a given formula could make anybody who uses that formula successful. But it wouldn't guarantee their happiness. It wouldn't guarantee their spiritual fulfillment, because that's unique to each individual. So this is my argument at the top. How can you be successful at anything, regardless of the amount of money you make, or the status or leverage or you know, pressure you're able to bring to bear over others, if you're really not satisfied, if you're not content, if you're not fulfilled, if, if the process of being successful fails to bring meaning into your life, and excite you, and cause you to redouble your efforts to be even more successful, well, something's missing. I think that's the problem with most of these get-rich-quick schemes or most of these shortcut-to-success workshops, is they're holding on a suit and saying one-size-fits-all, you know, or it put on this extra large t-shirt that's guaranteed to fit and uh, <laughs> it doesn't and we're not happy you know how many of us are looking around at our lives saying well I I have been successful I am successful to a large degree but do you really feel content do you really feel like you're in a rut or in a groove? Are you having a good time? Are you enjoying yourself? Is it getting better and better and better? You see? And I find that most people are not happy and not feeling this way. And when they look to teachers for some formula for success, they're being told that you have to do what I tell you to do the way I tell you to do it, precisely as I tell you to do it, and everybody will do this the same way, and then you'll be successful, whether it's real estate or you see these, uh, I'm sure you watch the same late-night infomercials on television that I see, and uh, everybody's got a scheme for you to get online and use their website to sell this product or provide this service, and it'll make you successful. Well, again, uh, you know, I think I've said enough about it. If your idea of success is, is merely I want to make a lot of money, then go for it. But I think we all know enough rich people to know money doesn't make you happy. It helps, you know, but it's no guarantee. 
the some of the most miserable people I've worked with in my life as a counselor and a trainer are fantastically wealthy. And in fact, in many ways, they're even more frustrated because most of us have an excuse for not being happy. We say, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't have enough money. If I could write checks, I could be very happy. And then you get the ability to write all those checks and you find out that it doesn't guarantee you any kind of happiness at all. So success has to go beyond simply money or having access to a lot of money to 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 other qualities and values, some of which are rather ineffable and, and difficult to describe. Freedom is one, right? Uh, meaning, I think, would be another. Um, and again, fulfillment, that's a word I like a lot. And as we get into these three steps today, I think you'll get a better idea of what I'm talking about. My, my primary message at the top is that this is not one size fits all, but the three steps are designed to be customized by you, to be tailored by you, to fit your particular passions as you discern them through both logic and through intuition. The two intelligences, the mental, reasonable logic and rational thinking, plus intuition, being sensitive to your feelings, that so-called sixth sense, you know, trusting the the vibe or the energy or that that somewhat subtle feeling uh, that that we all know from time to time of inspiration, of of realization or of, of, of revelation where the top of your head opens up and aha, you just have this, what did the Greeks call it, illumination, this eureka, aha experience, eureka illumination. I found it where you're getting not just a good idea, but you know, the uh, whole sense of confirmation arrives with it. It's not just a, an answer or a solution or a, or a good idea to try out, but it arrives with a sense of real fulfillment. That's it. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Okay. So keep this in mind. You cannot be successful copying the success of other people because even if you created an appearance of success, you'd be living their lives. And I don't think that's going to make you very happy because you're not them, right? There is an urge in you or a longing in you, a desire or an appetite, an aspiration, a thirst, a hunger to be you. And, of course, you want to be successful being you, so you're going to have to consider that when you start looking around at other people's successes and say, well, if I do what they do, then I can be successful like them, but is that really going to make me happy? Probably not. And, and it'll be a success that's more difficult for you to create. 
than being naturally successful. So that's what I'm offering you today. And it starts with step number one, okay, of the three steps. And again, I, I don't claim ownership of this. These three ideas are as old as the pyramids and then some. The very first step in creating any kind of success is you've got to create goals. A goal or a set of goals, you can call the goal a result, you can call it a solution, you can call it a desired outcome, but it's by any of those names, it's the bullseye or the target that we're seeking to create. Now, one of the most important things that you have to know about setting goals is that they are less about being a destination than they are about determining a direction. For those of you who like to take notes, this is where we begin. Step number one, goal setting. And the most important point so far is that goals are not so much a destination as they are for determining a direction. Because you're going to change your mind as you get closer to the goal or desired outcome. You're going to be more experienced. You're going to have a better understanding of what it is that you're approaching, and it's likely you're going to want to modify that goal, to peek it and tweak it, to change it a little bit as you come up on it. This is a very important attitude for you to understand because it helps to see periods of disappointment along the way as possibly being in your interest. If you fixate on a goal and obsess on it to such a degree that you don't want anything except exactly what you want when you begin, then often when you get that goal you've obsessed on, that result, you find it's really not what you wanted. But you were just so obsessive on having it exactly the way you wanted it in the beginning that you didn't leave room to change your mind a little bit as you got closer and saw it for what it was and decided to modify it a little bit, right? So the value of a goal is less to get there than to begin to move in the right direction. Most people don't set goals, even of business people set goals in spite of overwhelming evidence that it matters, that it makes a difference. It's pretty hard to attain a goal that you haven't set, that you have failed to describe to yourself. right? Um, And of that small percentage, that 15% of people in business, it's even 
less than that, if we look at life in general, understand this principle that we're talking about, and they will, even if you know they're part of the minority that are setting goals, they tend to obsess or fixate on a particular goal, failing to understand that the real value here is just to determine the direction. Now, why is that so important, to determine the direction, even if you're open to changing your mind as you come upon it? Well, (laughs) this seems so obvious, and yet it doesn't occur to most people Uh, They can live their entire life and never quite figure out that the definition that we've all been taught, either by our school or the society at large, the definition of a problem is, for most of us, I don't know what to do. So in our daily problem solving, we try to figure out or find out what is it I'm supposed to do to solve the problem? Well, I don't know what to do. That's why it's a problem. Maybe you do. Do you know what to do? What do you think I should do? Oh, you don't know either. Well, you're my boss. What do you want me to do? Oh, you just want me to solve the problem. But how do you want me? I mean, <laughs> to do, to do, what do you want me to do about it? I don't know what to do. To do, to do, to do, you see. How could we possibly know what to do, what steps to take, or what direction to move in if you don't have a goal? So anytime you define your problem by saying, I don't know what to do, I wish I knew what to do, if I knew what to do, then this would be a lot easier. It's the wrong question, gang. It's absolutely the wrong question. You're never going to know what to do unless or until you know what it is that you want. What is the outcome? What's the target? Where is the bullseye? Do I just keep shooting at the broad side of the barn? That's no fun. Or is somebody going to go over and put some concentric circles on the broad side of the barn and give me a target to shoot at. It's much more satisfying, isn't it? You see, much more productive. And so the question to ask whenever you have a problem is not what should I do, but do I know what I want? This is all part of step one in the three steps to success that I'm sharing with you today. When you set a goal, the question is not, what do I do? The question is, do I know what I want? And that's the first step. You have to know what you want before you can decide what to do about it. You don't even know what direction to move in if you don't have an outcome, a result, a solution, or a goal in mind. So that's the primary purpose of setting the goal, not to get there, but to determine a general sense of direction. You with me on this? You see, you're not an arrow or a bullet that once fired cannot be recalled. You can be 
you're a cybernetic system. Remember Maxwell Maltz, Psycho-Cybernetics in the 1950s? Maybe not. Very important book, though, in the early human potential days. He was talking about the human being being a psycho-cybernetic system, that the mind, the psyche, is cybernetic. That means it has a feedback loop, right? And to set a goal and then to begin to move toward it is part of a process that includes getting feedback as you approach the goal, like a heat-seeking missile or a so-called smart bomb. That's the way we work. And when you set a goal, it's, again, less about the outcome or the the result that you're going to fixate on. It's more just to the, the real value of setting that goal is just to get you moving in the right direction. And then as you approach, as you get closer, your perspective is going to change. You're going to know more, understand more, have some experiences along the way. And you're going to be modifying that goal. So all goals need to be dynamic and open to change. And my favorite way of saying that is simply in step one, when you consider setting goals, keep in mind they're less about the ultimate result or solution or desired outcome, it's primarily just to set a general direction so that you can begin to move toward what you want. Up until that point, all you can do is run away from what you don't want. Imagine you're in the center of a circle and you got to get out of here. Which way are you going to go? Well, I don't know what I want, so any direction will do. And you just run in any direction. Well, it's not bad in an emergency situation or in a crisis. If you don't know what to do, you don't know where you're going, just get away from what's bad. Just run in any direction. Just get out of here. But that's only going to help for the first few steps. Pretty quickly, you want to get oriented toward what it is you do want and to begin to move towards some point on the periphery of the circle means you have to set a goal. Again, you're not stuck with it. You get to, to, to modify it and change your mind. But this is a very, very important distinction. I dwell on it because... Most people live their whole lives. Number one, don't set goals. And number two, if they did, it, it, it wouldn't occur to them that this is more a destination than an outcome. When you set a goal, you're just setting the general direction to move in. You get to change your mind. That's the good news. It's ready, aim, fire, aim, 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 aim. You get it? You get to adjust as you approach. So that's really step number one is setting the goal. What do I want in my life? What do I want in terms of career and prosperity? 
what do I want in terms of relationships, for example? You know, you can set goals in relationships. I want more friends. I want better friends. I want friends I can really rely on and trust and and speak my heart to. Or maybe I want friends that live closer or friends who find other friends to be very important to them. You know, I want a higher quality of friendship. All of our goals don't have to be limited to career and money and success in that area. There's also success in our many relationships, our romantic relationships, about being successful at managing your parents. Wouldn't that be nice if somewhere along the way you could learn to anticipate your parents? You know, whether they're in their 30s or their 60s or their 80s. You're going to be dealing with your parents, in most cases, for a long, long time. Or, in the same way, learning to deal with your kids, or their romantic relationships, or friendships. There's a lot of room, a lot of opportunity to set goals in the area of relationships, as well as the more obvious career and prosperity and and when it comes to the self as well, to set goals for yourself in your own personal growth, like aspiring to be more generous, uh, to be kinder, to be more sympathetic, uh, to manage your temper, perhaps, or to create positive habits of, of good study habits or meditation on a regular basis or some sort of reflection or or time to exercise or whatever. Uh, many arenas outside of just career and money and, and prosperity in general where we can look at the value of, of, of setting goals. And again, this point that hopefully I've made to set a dynamic goal, not to fixate on this outcome, but to leave room, I would say, in setting goals for life to give you not only what you want, but also what you need, right? There's more going on here than just your will and your desire to have, be, and do this and this and this. The universe has its needs. Fate, destiny, religious people call this God. Philosophers refer to the absolute. Um, I like the idea of just providence or fate, the fates, right? As if the universe as a large uh, context, how can I say this, uh, as a, a supreme will of its own. It's hard to talk about this without using a religious term like God, but then I'm stuck with the divine as a separated being. The problem with God is it conjures up images of of a being or a, a giant man on a cloud someplace. And uh, if I knew when I said God that 
some people thought of a big separated being, but many people thought of a magnetic field that was everywhere equally present. You know, I'd be a lot more comfortable with it. And the reason a lot of us who are not agnostic and we're not atheist, well, we may be agnostic, but we're not atheists. We believe in divinity. We believe in a higher power. We believe in a creative force in the universe. We just don't believe that it's a guy, right? Some guy, big giant guy with big giant hands on a cloud someplace, but something more along the lines of an ocean of consciousness or what science calls a unified field, an electromagnetic field of energy, of a matrix of organized energy. Uh, Western human beings have a, who have interest in spirituality and religion, I think have a lot of work to do when it comes to updating their image of the divine from a separated man on a cloud who lives very, very far away to a presence, capital P, presence, that is in all things. And that no thing, seemingly separated thing, is too small. No molecule, no electron, no subatomic particle is too small to exclude the magnetic influence of this capital C consciousness or this capital P presence. That's more of a metaphysical or mystical understanding of the divine. All right. Every once in a while I want to point that out. It's very important, I think, to keep pointing that out. Again, if if the creator is not a part of what it has created, then the creator can be sacred, but the creation is not. And that's the problem you get into when you see God as a, in your mind, as a separated being. You can say, well, God is divine and sacred, but God's creation is profane. And that means I can kill other people. And I can do whatever I want. You know, I can, this, this earth is just for me. It's, it's for the taken. I can use it any way I want. I can foul the air. I can poison the water. I can clear cut the forest. I can kill all the animals without regard to balance. I can do whatever the hell I want. Because I'm at the top of the food chain, I'm at the top of the heap, right? You set yourself up for seeing the environment, the mother, so-called, uh, as not sacred when you see God as a separated being. On the other hand, when you have the more pantheistic view we talked about last week, pantheism to see the divine in all things, well, then everything is sacred. And you approach, you, you know, you approach everything as divine and imbued with divinity. And that, that's a very different approach. That's more of a mystical or metaphysical approach uh, that is totally inclusive. That means 
everything starts making sense then. You know, love your enemy, love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, it all starts falling together. So this should this should pretty much do it for step number one of the three secrets to success is you got to set a goal. It has to be your goal, what floats your boat, what would make you happy, what excites you. The fact that somebody else is doing a different kind of success doesn't really say very much about you and what would make you feel successful. All right. And also keep in mind, as we've emphasized here, that this goal that we're setting in step one is to determine a direction in, in which we begin to move. But it's not a fixed result that we're unable to change. We can change and modify our goals, and we should as we get closer. Okay. Step number two in the three steps to creating success in this new year, this new decade, and the rest of your life is you got to care. This is where the emotional nature is added in. Uh, knowing these principles is not enough. You've got to do them. You've got to practice. There's no athlete that is so good that he or she stops practicing, right? I think even Tiger Woods will, uh, Tiger Woods will be back on the course soon enough. Uh, Michael Jordan, uh, as exquisite, as excellent, as remarkable a basketball player as he was, he didn't stop practicing. He continued to practice. You know, it's different than playing. You, when you play, you want to be as perfect as you can. When you practice, you want to be able to try new things and make new mistakes. And so everybody needs to practice getting better and better, not practice perfectly, but try this change, try that change, try this, see how that works, experiment a little bit. That's what, you know, practicing, if you will, is really all about. And this is where the caring comes in. This is where the emotions are added in. You know, I care enough to practice. I, I care enough to try new things, uh, even though I've gotten pretty good. Um, again, Tiger Woods reinvented himself a few years ago, totally changed his swing the best golfer in the world, why would he change his swing and his stance and his grip? He's already the best in the world. Because he's not competing only with other people, he's competing with himself to be the best that he can be. All right? And he wants to get better and better and better. Using Tiger as an example is not as much fun as it used to be before all of this gossip came out about cheating on his wife and all these barmaids he's been dating. But I think in the long run, this may be a good thing that our heroes are seen as being human after all. You know, we all have a shadow side and we all screw up. And 
boy, Tiger has made a mess out of his life. But as an athlete, still remarkable what he's accomplished. So step number two is passion. You've got to care. It's got to be important to you. You've got to really, really want it. You know, you've got to repeat. Like the shampoo bottle, lather, rinse, repeat again and again. You've got to do it over and over again. And you've got to believe in yourself. You know, you've got to uh, know that you're capable of doing it better, of learning from your mistakes and and really allow yourself to enjoy the growth process. If, because of a funky attitude, we believe that the only way we're going to be happy is to attain this goal, this, this you know, spot we've marked, and I've got to get there, and I've got to accomplish this. Well, You've heard the saying, it's the journey, not the destination. We make a mistake if we think, I will only be happy once I get to the destination. Happiness is the way to success. Success does not make you happy. Happiness makes you successful. And so point two, the passion, the excitement, the enthusiasm... This is about the adventure on your way to the destination. And every day and every way, getting a little bit better, learning from your mistakes, reminding yourself you can deal with disappointment. Uh, there's a great old uh, uh, saying in Japan, uh, fall down seven, stand up eight. I like it for its economy of words. Fall down seven, stand up eight. Get on that horse and ride. Just learn from the mistake so that every time you go down, as you stand up, you're a little wiser, a little smarter, a little more experienced than before. It is the journey, not the destination. It is the adventure that's the fun. Once you arrive at a goal or a destination that you've chosen for yourself, you're just going to have to set another goal because no matter how exalted or wonderful that goal may be for you, once you get there, it's going to get old and tired real fast. You need to set a new goal because that's just the way human beings are. We want we want to have fun. We, <laughs> we want more. We want the adventure and the excitement. Most of us, some people don't want any adventure, exciting or terrifying. It's <laughs> a thin line sometimes between oh boy and oh no, but if you call it an adventure and and want to go out and do it and, and, and enjoy the process, then you understand that happiness is the way to success. Get the order straight here. Success does not make you happy. Success is not the way to create a goal called happiness. You got it backwards. Happiness is the way, the via, the road, or the path to create 
the goal or the outcome that we set in step number one. So step number one is the mental goal, the outcome. Step number two is the emotional path. This is the passion, this is the excitement, and this is the enthusiasm that says I will not only enjoy small successes along the way and the whole process of unfoldment, but even what appear to be mistakes or errors or or getting off the track or having a breakdown over here or a problem over there, doesn't matter. I'm learning from all these situations. And this is not only uh, enhancing my life and making it richer and more wonderful, but providing me with information to help me get closer and closer and closer to my goal, enjoying myself along the way, right? Now that I think about it, I I feel sort of safe in saying that this might be the most important part of today's whole presentation, is that the idea that being successful creates happiness is backwards. It is appealing, isn't it? I mean, it makes sense on the surface. If I'm successful, then as a result of my success, I can be happy. Well, it's just dead wrong. It's it's backwards. Uh, success is an outcome. Happiness is not an outcome. Happiness is a decision you make. It's a process of being that says, I embrace the reward in moving forward, and likewise I embrace the problems that come up along the way as opportunities to learn. And where other people um, are creating what they would call failure, I refuse to accept failure uh, other than to see it as an opportunity to learn a lesson and to incorporate what I've learned in this adventure as I just keep getting better and better. Okay? So these are the first two points. Number one, you set a goal to determine a direction. And, you know somewhat of a destination, but it's going to change. And number two, keep in mind that happiness is the way. That that caring, passion, uh, enthusiasm, uh, perseverance, it's the emotional nature that is the means to this end. Okay? Those are the first two points. And the third, maybe the most important of all, uh, certainly of the three little steps I'm going to give you today for creating personal success, it's the one that's missing in most other plans. And it's simply to align all of your goals and your desires with the greatest good of all concerned. Do not make the mistake of seeing yourself as isolated or living in a vacuum or having some sort of right 
to create for yourself an outcome, a result, a goal, or a solution without considering the consequences for other people. You know, if if your attitude is going to be, well, to hell with them, let them create their own success, you're going to uh, short-circuit yourself. The third secret to success is you must be of service to other people. You must be of service to other people. You're here to help other people. There is no success in a, a vacuum. There is no success if only you enjoy it. It just doesn't work. I'm not saying you could do it, but you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm saying saying you could create an appearance of success, but in your heart know that there's something missing. You might not know what it is. But you could say, well, my goal is to be uh, rich and powerful and uh, to have this kind of a mansion and drive this kind of a car and to have the financial freedom to do what I want when I want and uh, travel and buy a bunch of houses maybe, on one on every continent and so on and so forth. You're not going to be happy. I don't care how much stuff you have or how much money you have. You're going to be miserable. Because no man is an island. You are a social creature. You are part of something bigger than you. And your life is going to be empty if you believe that it's all about you. And... So what I'm saying is not only are other people involved, not only is it necessary for you to involve them and consider how others in your life benefit, it's essential, it's it's an imperative to creating success that you look for something that needs to be done and do it primarily for the benefit of other people. Now, you go read the success books, and you watch those infomercials late at night and see if this third element is present or missing. I think you'll find it's missing in most of these programs, right? The get-rich-quick, one-of-a-kind, one-size-fits-all, do-this-for-yourself kind of a program. Not only does it have to fit you, but it's got to be for a greater good. That's the reason you exist, is to grow yourself to be of service to other people, and both things are true. If you work only on yourself, you're not going to be happy or fulfilled. If you're so codependent that you only care about other people, and don't include yourself, you're going to be out of balance in the other direction. The truth is, you have to put yourself first. 
Yeah, you do. You are the most important person in your life. Remember that old saying I used to use on the radio a lot, chew your food well, if you don't, who will? You're responsible for your life. You have to put yourself first. That's not a selfish thing to do unless putting yourself first is followed by behavior that has no regard for other people. And yet to go, as I say, in the opposite direction, to be so codependent that all you care about is what you can do for others, but you're not interested in yourself, you're not taking responsibility for your own life. You want other people to do that since you've been so generous and kind to them. Well, that's just codependence. You're out of balance in the other direction. You do have to put yourself first. If not you, who? You have to be not selfish, but self-centered. But the self at the center is not the separative ego self, but the higher soul-infused self. The self that knows it's not separated and not discrete, but part of a universal field of consciousness. I put myself first that I might have more to give to other people. This is the secret of step three. Okay. It's a balance. I put myself first, but I don't, <laughs> I don't stop there. I put myself first that I have that I might have more to give to other people. In order to prosper myself, I must prosper other people, but in order to help prosper other people, I have to take care of number one first. See? So it's an and, not an or. It's, it's not a matter of choosing you or me. All right, I'll go from being selfish and not caring about you to caring only about you and not about me. They're both out of balance conditions. You've got to see the larger picture. I've got to care about me so that I can have something to offer you. This is, in my experience, the primary source of resistance in personal development in the whole human potential movement is this fear that if I put myself first, I'll be a selfish person. Or if I put myself first, I'll be perceived as selfish, arrogant, pompous, and conceited. Well, I'd say then just don't worry so much about appearances of things. And put yourself first so that you have more to give to other people. If you are not of service to people, you're in big trouble. You're going to lead a meaningless life. I don't care how much money you end up with, how, how much you have in terms of material goods. It's, it's rich or poor. If you're not interested in helping other people and being of service to humanity, truly loving your neighbor, 
right? Then your life's not going to work, whether you're selfish or completely selfless, right? So that's number three. You live your life to help other people. Not instead of having a life of your own, but as a way of having a life of your own. And it's true in the reverse. You have to have a life if you're going to have something to offer other people. Does that make sense? Those are the three secrets I wanted to share with you. Today, the third day of a new year and a new decade, as you think about whether to make resolutions, New Year's resolutions, and how would you keep the resolution? Well, play around with these three secrets to success. Again, number one, starting with the idea that somebody else's success is not going to be of service to you. You might learn a few tips here and there, but basically what makes them happy and fulfilled, even if they're doing it right, is not necessarily what you should be doing. Otherwise, you're just redundant. And there's nothing in the universe that suggests uh, real tolerance for redundance or redundancy. Everything in the universe is unique for a reason. Right? Sometimes by simple appearance, it says, well, I'm doing the same thing all these other people are doing. Well, are you or are you doing it the way you think it ought to be done? Are you bringing your individuality and yourself into this? Right? I, I just don't see any point. We can learn general concepts and share them with each other. My goodness, that's what I'm doing here today. But again, the idea that one size fits all and you don't need to be intuitive and you don't need to search your heart for what burns inside is ridiculous. This has to be personal. It's just got to be personal. All right. And then step one, set goals, outcomes, results, solutions, all right, specific and detailed Understanding that they determine direction, not destination, you'll be most likely modifying that outcome as you approach it. And so hang loose. All right? In Hawaii, we give you the shaka sign, bro. Hang loose. Because as you approach that goal or solution, you're going to be more experienced. You're going to be learning along the way. Your perspective will change. And you'll say, I thought I wanted this, but actually I want this over here, just a little different. Allow for that. Leave room for that. You set the goal to create a direction, not a specific destination. That concept in and of itself is a rare concept. You're not going to hear that very often in goal setting and problem solving, so-called success motivation situations. Number two, be sure and care about it. Be passionate about it. Love it. <laughs> Visualize in your mind's eye already having it. 
spend some time every day, three to five minutes, maybe ten minutes, visualizing in your mind's eye in a relaxed state, already having this outcome in place as if you've already got it, giving no thought as to what it would take to get here. You'll do that when your eyes are open and you're going about your daily life. There'll be plenty of time for that. All right, to think about how do I do this. But when your eyes are closed, just once a day for five or ten minutes, visualize already having it as if you've time traveled. And bring that passion in so that, you know, you don't want to just be antiseptically objective here. You want to be a partisan. You want to be, oh boy, golly gee, I'm really into this. I'm emotionally invested in this outcome. That's not a risk. It's essential to getting the results that you want. And then the third, do it for other people. Put yourself first and set goals so that you have an ability to contribute to humanity, to the greater good. And do it in that order. You don't serve other people so that you can benefit. You serve yourself first develop who you are, be the best you can be, so that you then follow on by being of service to other people. You put yourself first, not as a selfish thing, but as a matter of enlightened self-interest. I have to take care of number one. Like like that saying I mentioned, chew your food well, if you don't, who will? You've got to take care of number one. You've got to put yourself first. You must step up to the plate and be the most important person in your life so that you can be of service then to other people. And if you leave that last little bit off, then none of this works. None of it works. But even if you have the clarity to know that the primary reason you exist is to be of service to other people, you've still got to put yourself first. All right? It's not an or. It's not them or me. It's not me or him. It's and. Okay? Let's go to the questions. You can participate here in one of two ways. You can use the Ask a Question button on the web page in front of you to type a question into the box and uh, hit the submit button, and I'll see it on the page in front of me here. Or if you're on the telephone, you can press star 2 on the telephone touchpad, and that'll raise your hand on my console, and we can talk to you that way. All right, let's see um, Let's see who we've got. Oh, I just scrolled uh, all my questions away. Let's go back and do that again. And see who we have that just wants to say hi or has a comment or a question of some sort. In uh, Los Angeles, Anna is uh, with us today. Actually, she put her question in just before the webinar started. And Anna is apologizing, says, can't be here for the 1 o'clock event. Can I receive it by email so I can follow up later this evening? Yeah, um, the same link that you use to come to this 
class, this webinar or event, before it begins uh, is the link you're going to use during the event and the same link you'll use after the event. Every week it's unique, but the same address is used for any given class before, during, or after. So the link in the newsletter you click on Friday that shows you the pre-event page, you know brings you here during the event and will take you to the replay afterwards. So thanks for giving me a chance to make that clear. And then in addition to that, the podcast we mentioned is also available. Subscribe at the iTunes store if you're set up with iTunes on your computer. Remember, that's a free download for PCs as well as Macs and really smart software. It's by far my favorite. And, uh, you know, there are other music organization systems and there are other pod catchers or MP3 portable player programs, <laughs> aggravators they're called. But uh, you can subscribe at the iTunes store. Or, um, as I mentioned earlier in the class today, just about any of the podcast directories online, like Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, Pod Feed, that, some of the big ones. In La Habra, Carol says, hello, this works fine. The box is accessible and back where it should be. Carol's uh, referring to some changes that the system administrators made to the website this week. Uh, it's only been up for a couple of weeks, and it's new and improved edition, so we're still messing around with it a little bit. Thanks, Carol. On the Canoga Park, Phil Jaffe says, this is great. Your new software keeps the question box separate from the listen-in module. Yeah, that's what I asked those guys to do if they could. and uh, it's still working on it, but I, I'm glad you like it, Phil. On the Tucson, Lorelei is with us again today. Lorelei has only missed a couple of these in the last two years. I think she's she's always here, like Carol. She says, Aloha, Michael, starting the new year with a new perspective on life, forgetting the past and seeing the world in a new light of new hope and dreams. Happy New Year to all. Let's make this one count. Peace and love to you and Doreen. I try to get out of bed every day with <laughs> with that attitude, actually. Uh, Don, up in Apple Valley in the high desert, is with us today. Hello, Don. He says, hola, Michael. Feliz Nuevo. Nuevo. That must be Happy New Year, but Felice I know is happy, and Nuevo is new, so I guess it's just said that way. Feliz Nuevo. New happy way. Uh, oh, my eyes. There's the other word, ano. Shows how little Spanish I know. So, Feliz Nuevo Ano. There you go. Happy New Year. I've been busy trying to learn a little bit of Hawaiian, but... Uh, that's a very uh, difficult language. It is. It's a beautiful language, but it it really intimidates me. And uh, Hawaiians, uh, they're not real happy when uh, howlies speak what looks like or sounds like pigeon either. So my broken Hawaiian often sounds like pigeon, and then it sounds like I'm talking down to people. So 
I just stay with my English. Anyway, thank you, Don. Happy New Year. Says I know it's easy. Uh, uh, let's see. I know it's early in the class, and that you will no doubt get to the definition of success. But I've got to say up front, uh, just the sound of the word success. Uh, great son, he whereas the word failure just seems to have a much more fluid flow. Uh, I know you're quite adept in the field of etymology, entomology, and I'm really not trying to be a wise guy, but would be curious uh, if you may have an opinion as to the physical sound of the word. Physical sound of the word. Yeah. He's a strange idea, I know, love and light to all. Yeah, remember that Bob Dylan movie where he had the flashcards and he spelled success, S-U-C-K-E-S-S, and he sings that want to be a success. Yeah, a lot of people um, don't like the word at all because of the connotation of success being defined only in materialism, you know, um, but as we've described here, um, you can't be successful if you define success only in materialistic terms, nor if you see success only as applying to you, if you don't complete the cycle by finding out how you can then take your successes more completely to the world and be of service to other people, then it's not really a success. But um, that's really a therapy quality question. I'd like to have an hour with you on my psychiatrist sofa down <laughs> to get into that. I think that's probably more uh, in your background that somebody may have trained you inadvertently to think of success as a very bad thing. And if it's be like me and do what I do, and this is a, a person you don't admire or respect, as a little kid, you might uh, you might find yourself soured on that, I understand. Robert in Irvine says, Aloha, Michael. Uh, when setting new goals, we have to change old habits. Uh, to open the doors for change, what's the best way to keep the momentum moving forward and keep the old habits from creeping back into our life? Uh, excellent topic. Have a magical new week of peace. Well, I think you've actually used the word. You, you're talking about uh, moving forward, keep the momentum moving forward, setting new goals, changing old habits. I think if you just practice, that's the word I've been using today. Um, it reminds me, Robert, of a question people might ask about how do I stop negative thinking? And the truth is you don't. You just replace it with positive thinking. Okay? There's no way to turn off your brain and stop negative thinking. But every time you find yourself going toward the negative, you can catch yourself, take a breath, go, hold on, is this where I want to go? If so, continue into the negative. You may want to explore it, but if not, you've already done that work, then let it go and just put your attention back on the positive. Well, the same thing with supplanting old habits with new habits. 
as soon as you find yourself behaving the old way, uh, give yourself a pat on the back. Hey, I just busted myself. I just caught myself sliding into the old habit again. Boy, wasn't that sneaky. And you take a breath and then begin to practice the new habit in its place. Training your mind, training yourself, is really not that much different than training a little puppy dog. You just have to be patient and persistent and reward yourself in positive ways. So think of how would I, you get frustrated with your mind, think of a little puppy that really wants to please you, but it doesn't want to sit and stay. It wants to run and go with you. And so it's sort of trapped at a crossroads. It wants to please you, but you're trying to teach it to sit and stay, and the puppy's confused. Well, you know, we're playing. Why can't I come and run and jump on you? I have to learn this sit-stay thing. It's very frustrating. And so you just repeat. Okay, puppy, sit, stay, and you move slowly and back away. And if he starts to come, as soon as he starts to go out, hold on, sit, that's a good boy, little reinforcement. Stay, that's a good boy, stay. Now come to me, and then you pet him and give him a little treat. See, it's really really no different. It's really no different. That's the practice we're talking about. Let me refresh the page, see who else we have here. And you know what I'm going to have to do again? I set these for 90 minutes, and then I start running out of time. So let me add a little time to the webcast. This just takes a minute for me to do. All right. That gives me a little more breathing room. Then go back to these questions. And uh, see where I left off. Okay, Robert and then Don is back talking about entomology. And Bert in Honolulu is here. He says, Happy New Year, Michael. I missed the early part of your lesson today, and so I'm not sure if you made a reference to John Wooden's definition of success. Uh, I did not, Bert, but he's put it in here. Bert quoting John Wooden, Success is the peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing you did your best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. And in that in that sense, all the best to you and Doreen. Aloha, Bert. Thank you, Bert. The peace of mind, defining peace of mind, success as the peace of mind that results from the self-satisfaction of knowing you did your best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. I love it. I like it. Uh, I really do. I Personally, I just think it needs to have that follow-through about being of service to other people in there. So I wouldn't criticize anything John Wooden did. Uh, he's a great man, great motivator, and has that whole pyramid of success, as I recall. But I like the follow-through in making sure that you understand that you are not separate from other people and cannot be successful if your success is not shared with others, right? And it's got to be in that order. 
Um, in Amsterdam, Kevin is with us. Dr. Kev says, Happy New Year to everybody. Hello, Kev. Nice to hear from you. Out of Hollywood, Tony says, Michael, throughout your show, I usually come up with several personal show-related questions. I've been feeling the need for clarification uh, upon for a while, almost every time as I type out my question. Uh, I have an epiphany and end up answering the question right there myself. I think this shows the power of writing things down for yourself when contemplating and finding out solutions. That's a pretty cool process. He just starts typing the question, and the answer pops into his head while he's typing it. Yep, that's very cool. In uh, Here's a new listener. In Winterset, Iowa, out in the heartland, Elton says, what can a person do to help determine what a life goal might be? Short, simple, direct-to-the-point answer, Elton, look less in your head and more in your heart. If we don't know what would make us happy, if we don't know what would fulfill us or please us, if we're having a problem finding a meaningful goal or set of goals, to bring real purpose and meaning, in, uh, meaning into our lives, it's usually because we're stuck in our heads. It's usually because, well, I'll bet you're just really a smart guy, Elton. Hold on here. I had to find the cough button real quick. Usually, really smart people tend to get stuck in their heads, especially guys, and forget to look into your heart. And that's where you're going to find a lot of what you're looking for. Why did this take me away? Hold on, let me go back to the Q&A. That's very strange. Yeah, um... What can a person do to help determine what a life goal might be? What's a good one? Yeah, something you care about. In other words, something in your heart. The difference, there are many differences between the head and the heart, between what you think and what you feel, between mental intelligence and emotional intelligence. But, and we've talked about this in the past, and we'll do shows on it in the future as well. Um, Thanks for being with us today, Elton. Basically, The head is objective and about the world around you. You tend to think like everybody else, and so do I. We tend to think alike. And even when people disagree vehemently, they still tend to think alike. The personal stuff is in our emotions, is in the way we feel about things. And no matter how much school you have, the emphasis is all on mental intelligence. There is virtually no education yet on emotional intelligence. All right. I could tell you some stories, too, because I do a lot of seminars for teachers, and many of them are interested in this stuff, but they can't integrate it into the classroom very well 
because they don't get support from the administration. It's the administrators who don't spend enough time in the classroom, who maybe haven't been in a classroom in years, or who are just not doing their due diligence. They're not staying up on the research, and they don't know about the importance of emotional intelligence, how subjective that is, the essence of subjectivity, is how you feel, and this is where all the personal stuff is, Elton. Okay? So, if you're using your intelligence, your mental intelligence, and uh, you're just not coming up with a good sense of what would make me happy in career, what kind of partner do I want in romantic relationships, do I want a lot of kids, a few kids, or no children at all in my life, um, do I want to live in a big city or do I want to stay in Iowa because I just love it out here? Those kinds of decisions often have to come from the heart, not the head. Right. So if you've tried the head and <laughs> it's not helping, go to the heart. Sit quietly, as we're about to do, and see how you feel in your body. And this is called intuition. And your feelings will speak to you. Developing trust in the feeling is another stage of the process. But if you come here more often, you'll hear us talk a lot about EQ as opposed to IQ. And how the two, I don't mean to say as opposed to, but as distinct from IQ. And how to manage your emotions and develop emotional intelligence which is the personal stuff all the really personal stuff has to come through emotional intelligence your mental intelligence is judging it's comparing and competing and contrasting and largely for knowing the world around you also, uh, let's see who else. In Cerritos, Kareem is with us today. Just says, Happy New Year, Michael, and thanks for pointing us back toward uh, setting our trajectories. And uh, you're welcome, Kareem. Happy New Year. Let me go to the phone room and see if any of the people that are listening online have their hand up. I don't see anybody with their hand raised. Thank you for joining us, whether by telephone or the web today. The telephone is a cool option if you're listening live. Put it on speaker. Take it with you. You know, listen in the car. It's got a lot of cool options, so I'm glad you can not only listen by um, telephone, but uh, participate either by web or telephone. Nope. I don't see any hands raised. So let's go to um, our final bit for the day and do a little visualization exercise and uh, review in a nice, quiet, relaxed, and focused state of mind these three steps to success. Then I'll let you go, and we'll call it a day, January 3rd, 2010. So provided this is a good time for you, you know, and you're not uh, driving a car or handling sharp instruments, pump up the pillows and get comfortable, sit straight.
straight or erect, but not rigid. Instead, think of yourself as balanced. With your shoulders back, rib cage open, do a couple of slow head rolls, some shoulder shrugs, get all loose and nicely balanced and centered. And then take the first of several slow, deep breaths, inhaling through the nose if you're not too stuffy. Ideally, inhale through the nose slowly, pause as you peek, and then exhale just as slowly through the nose or the mouth. And go beyond where you normally stop, all the way out, and then take another slow, deep breath. And do this two, three, four times, pulling in strength and power as you inhale, and as you exhale, feel the letting go. And as you feel yourself relaxing, you feel yourself letting go. I want you to begin to imagine yourself in a beautiful wilderness, outdoors, far from any roads, farther still from any cities, in a beautiful outdoor paradise, a garden, a forest, a sunny meadow. You may be high in a mountain or deep in a green valley. You might be on a savanna, a prairie, or a lonely, isolated beach. But wherever it occurs to you that you may be, allow my voice to guide you as you wander through this place and explore just a little bit. Let my voice go with you as you imagine hearing birds singing. And the wind in the tops of the tallest trees. It's easy to imagine. And sit down. Find a place to sit, maybe on that tree stump over there, or on that log, or here's a big rock over here, or sit on the grass beneath the shade tree. Imagine that there's a little lake, or maybe a beautiful little stream tumbling by. And you feel as you sit upon the ground, or upon the log, or the rock, you feel well, grounded. You feel plugged in, connected to the earth. For you are a path of least resistance. You are a conductor that connects the sky to the earth, that connects spirit as energy to the material ground the common ground of all things. That's where all energy wants to go, is to the Mother Earth, from the positive pole of the magnet, the sky.
sky, Father Spirit, to the so-called negative pole. The receptive end of the bar magnet is the mother, the earth. So you're, you're a conductor. You're like a lightning rod, if you will. From your brain down along the spine and into the earth. See yourself, experience yourself as the middle element, the center, the heart, between energy and the material world. And it comes through you and into the ground. You're sort of like a battery in the sense that you can imagine yourself being recharged and restored as you sit here quietly and effortlessly, open to the flow of the energy of life itself. You may know it as chi or ki, kundalini, prana, elan, Holy Spirit or simply love feel it moving through you but also filling you and recharging you and restoring you until you begin to effortlessly radiate out into the world as you remind yourself at this point that you exist for a reason. I'd like you to consider that there is more to life than your free will. I'd like you to consider that there's more to life than your freedom to do whatever you want. That there's opportunity. If you don't want to think of it as obligation, think of it as opportunity. That there is opportunity in this life. And that opportunity is about setting goals, moving toward them, growing yourself, so that you might be of ever greater service to others. You are here, I would like to suggest, and I want you to try this on for size, you are here to know yourself, to grow yourself, and to express yourself by helping other people. With a smile, with a word of encouragement, with a simple expression of gratitude like, hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Your service to other people is not limited to giant sacrifices. Usually what we do for other people enhances us. Not a matter of you or me, but a matter of you and me. And as I'm of service to you, that helps me. 
And as I work on me, well, that would benefit you if my intention is to follow through, yeah. Right? See if you can feel that follow through. I am here. If this fits for you, repeat it silently and internally. I am here in this world to know myself, to grow myself. to express myself lovingly in service to others. That's who you are. That's what you're for. And that's the biggest secret to success that was ever told. I'm here to know myself to grow myself and to express myself lovingly in service to the world. Tell yourself that'll be easy to remember. Repeat it a few more times. And consider that you're part of a group not just the people who are meditating now with us in this program, but that in any moment, at any time of day, any day of the year, millions of people on this planet are in meditation. And whenever you close your eyes and relax, identify with the larger group. As you say to yourself, My purpose is to know myself, to grow myself, to express myself better and better every day in every way in service to others. And so it is. And bring with you gently that attitude as you reorient yourself to the room around you Remember what you'll see in a few moments when I ask you to open your eyes, wide awake and alert. And tell yourself that this exercise can be repeated easily, even if you just have a minute or two, much less enjoying the benefits of a longer 10 or 15 minute meditation exercise. Remember the mini exercises, the 30-second, the one-minute, the two-minute, just to breathe and relax and reorient yourself. I'm here to know myself, to grow myself, to express myself lovingly in service to other people. Keep it simple. And bring that with you effortlessly. As you take another nice, slow, deep breath now, inhaling, filling your lungs. And as you exhale now, uh, open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, back in the room, feeling fine. With a whole new outlook and a whole new process for setting and realizing goals in this new year, in this new decade. 
and maybe even a whole new sense of what you're for. To know, to grow, to express in service. Thanks for being with us today. Hope you'll join us next week. We're here every Sunday live, 1 o'clock West Coast time, 4 in the East. Also available by replay and podcast. And if you like the programs we're doing and you like the Ageless Wisdom website, please check out FocusedPassion.com. This is a website that makes all of this possible. A program, premium audio program, done every week by Steve Snyder and myself. We've been partners in this field of personal empowerment for 35 years or more. And by subscribing for less than $4 a month to the premium audio feed, imagine just 99 cents a week, you get the second program, Studio Quality with Steve and I. Well, Steve and me. <laughs> and you'll help support all of this and keep it ad-free. All right. We're still running on a budget. We're still in the red we still do not have enough people to make this pay. And it's not that we're looking to make a lot of money, but it'd be nice if we could just pay the bills, uh, get into some black ink, grow the site a little bit, and all we're asking is 99 cents. We've had some wonderful people stand up and contribute larger sums, but if we could just bill you 396 a month, 99 cents a week, we could stay ad-free, and you'd have the wonderful feeling of knowing that here's a way you're contributing to other people hearing the same program. So if you like this, I think you're going to love the Finding Yourself in Paradise premium audio, audio series that Steve and I do at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the ED, it's the W's.FocusedPassion.com. Get yourself signed up for the free account. Get the free sample programs. And if you like what you hear, then sign up for 99 cents. Okay? It's pocket change, but it makes a difference on this end. Thanks for being with us. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii. This is Michael Benner. <laughs>